I'm just, um, I want to read some words I read recently. This is by a chap who's recently retired as chairman of a major investment bank in the city of London. He's chairman of Alpha International. Really, really well-connected individual. And he wrote this. Hope is the forgotten virtue of our age. He's a believer, I should say. Hope is the forgotten virtue of our age when sandwiched between the muscularity of faith and the tenderness of love. I thought that was a really good, just lovely phrase summing up. Sandwiched between the muscularity of faith and the tenderness of love. None of which are wrong, but hope sits in the middle. This world needs to know that God's plan is to sum everything up in Christ. And we are the ones through whom this hope will be made known in our workplaces and in the world. Hope is therefore as powerful today as it enables us to live in the present as it will be in the future. But we have trivialized hope to the point of whimsy. Radical hope looks at the reality of hard, difficult and sometimes impossible situations and, without ignoring these realities, empowers us in Christ to tackle them with confidence. That is the strength of the power of God God at work. However, hope and perseverance go together. Without hope, why persevere? Why not live life for the moment or for immediate gain? But without perseverance, hope falls at his first time of testing. Two testimonies this morning. We need to recover a culture of hope for our nations and our world. Starting in our workplaces, all of us can share the passion to reverse the exhaustion of hopelessness that so often saps the spiritual vitality of our workplaces and our nations. It's good, isn't it? That's true, very true. Very, very true. I imagine that uh, there are probably many, if not all of us, are on or have been on journeys over the years, and you've either had highs and lows, peaks and troughs, you know, great peaks and great troughs. Great troughs when you think the world's just crowding you in and there's no way out of it. Triumphs and disappointments. Hurts and wounds inflicted by others. And equally have had great love expressed to us by others. You know, life's like that, isn't it? Life is, somebody once said, life is a roller coaster. I, can't, I don't know if it was a song or life is a roller coaster. Yeah, you know. One day's great, the next day can be rough. One week can be great, the next week can be rough. But God's love is constant. And I think the other thing is very often we remember the lows more than we remember the highs. And we have to just watch that we don't shape our lives around the lows and not the highs, or actually the balance of the two. You know, we can have, despite all of life's experiences, whether they're good or bad, we have a sure promise from God that he is intimately and deeply loves us, cares for us, and ultimately demonstrated that in Jesus. When Jesus took upon himself all our failures, and I believe all our disappointments and our hurts and our wounds, he was wounded for our wounds. 
as well as our rebellion against him. When he took that upon himself, he gave, he gave a living and, and dying and rising again demonstration of his love and affection for us. You, you can have no greater demonstration of God's love, it says in Scripture, doesn't it, than a man lay down his, that laid out his life for his friends. We're his friends. This is tangible resurrection power of Jesus. Yeah? You're going to have to work this morning because it's really hot. (laughs) I'm going to keep you on on your toes this morning. (laughs) Jesus is passionately interested in restoring our lives. I've 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 spoken on this before. I'm not going to really do that this morning. But our hopes, our dreams, our emotions, our state of mind, our relationship, our opinions about ourselves, you know, these are all to be restored because they're all things that Jesus is passionate about because he loves me and he loves you deeply. So all that, I, all that makes me me, he's passionately, he passionately loves I could go on, couldn't I? There was a lady called Claire Booth Luce, who was a U.S. diplomat, uh, a journalist, and a politician, who said this. This was in 1980. Well, she died in 1987. There are no hopeless situations. There are only men and women, men and women, who have grown hopeless about them. There are no hopeless situations, only men and women who have grown hopeless about them. It's a good, good quote. Really good quote. You know, and it's certainly been my experience, um, some really tough, difficult times. And, and dark, you know, that what, what, what in generations before they used to call the dark season of the soul. <laughs> you know, when... You can call it a desert place. You can call it what you like. When, when things seem really dark, even when there seems to be no hope, when it seems that hope has finally been buried and extinguished under disappointments and hurts, there is always hope. Even in those situations, there is always hope because there's always God. Because God is a God of hope. He cannot expect us to, to put our hope in him if he is not a God of hope. That would be hypocrisy. Hope resides within him. I'm trying to unwrap it for you. Hope resides within him. He's the most hopeful being there could possibly be. All hope comes from God. What we experience as hope has its origin in God himself. He's a God of hope. We're all made in his image, and hope is a part of his image. That's why hope can, res- can reside in us as well. You know, Jeremiah 21, uh, 29 verse 11 says this. This is the Lord speaking to Jeremiah, uh, but it's much wider than that. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. 
It's a great scripture. It's a great one to memorize, actually. I'd really encourage you, in dark, you know, not in the dark seasons particularly, in the, in the good seasons, memorize scripture. Because in the dark seasons, it's a fantastic resource to have available to you. You know, when you grit your teeth and despite the circumstances, I can say things like, for I know, God, you say to me, I know the plans you have for me. They're for a good, you know, good future. You've got plans. You've got hope for me and a, and a future. They're good things to be able to just, to just to bounce back at God and say, that's the way it is with me, God. And I'm, I'm looking for you to turn up here. <laughs> God will love to do that. Because mercy and compassion is at his core. God's core, if you could get to the core, you'd see mercy and compassion. And you can use other words like love and grace. And <laughs> That's God's character. It's easy to blame God when things go wrong. We forget to, re- to thank him when things go right. You know, often we blame, th- and the world does. Um, God gets blamed for things he has nothing to do with. Stupid decisions, you know, inappropriate actions. God, why did you allow that to happen? Well, actually, you made the decision, you know. God's, God's hope is endless. I just want to move on as well. I want, to, I want to remind you 1 Corinthians 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide. In other words, it lives in us. Lives in God, lives in us. But the greatest of these is love. Because hope, God's hope is always wrapped up in love. No matter what we've done, no matter how well we've performed or haven't performed, no matter how well we've loved or badly we've loved or badly been loved. I'm re-emphasizing this, but God's love is unconditional. Don't measure God, by the love with which you've been loved, because it's a poor standard. Very poor standard. You can't put a tape measure against the love that you've received and say, well, it's 15 centimeters, because you wouldn't have a tape measure long enough to measure God's love. That's the standard that we need to compare against. When I have time, I like to grow vegetables and f- flowers. I have to say, I've pretty abysmally failed over the last years because I've been really busy. But many of you will have seen um, seeds, flower or vegetable seeds. They're really tiny. They look incredibly dead. <laughs> they look like this brown or black or sometimes beige deadness and of course in some ways they are it's only when they're planted and watered that life springs forth one of the flowers I love and I know uh, we love in our family in fact we've got some in the lounge at the moment we've got some sunflowers beautiful majestic flowers and if you look at a sunflower seed they're, they're actually quite small compared to this enormous sunflowers that you can get. I mean, I remember seeing a sunflower that must have been all of 12 foot tall, and one, this enormous flower head. But the secret 
of that flower head and that 12-foot plant was the seed that was planted, watered, and germinated. And hope that is planted in the culture of God's love will always germinate. Because that's the nature of God's love. You know, the Bible records uh, in Mark chapter 4, I won't go through it, the parable of the sower. Where seed was sown, some along the, the path, because there's no soil. There's no, there's no culture for the seed to grow, to grow. And the birds come and pick it and they have their breakfast, which is fine. Birds need their breakfast. Some of it's sown in amongst the weeds with the seeds of the weeds and they grow together. And it says the weeds choke the plants. But the, seeds that, the seed that is sown in good soil produces 30, 60, 100 fold return. You get up to 100 times back what you've sown. That's God's economy. And, you know, that's hope that's sown in a, good, in a good soil. We need to work on our soil. We need to make sure that it's, 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 it's well looked after. You know, it, I think it's, is it John? It says, keep yourself in the love of God. It's in one of the, I think it's three John or something. Keep yourself in the love of God. The onus is on us. That's what John's saying. We need to keep ourselves in God's love. We need to make sure our soil is good, that we're taking in good, the good word of God and, and being filled with the Holy Spirit daily because that produces a good soil in which hope can germinate. And if we're not, we need to just begin to do it. There's no condemnation in that. We just need to, you know, even in really busy lives, we can find a way of just taking some moments to do those sort of things. Because Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through a very dark valley, and I will not be afraid. David knew what it was to walk through an incredibly dark place, a dark season. But he also knew that God had restored his soul. Uh, David must have known hope. He must have understood the hope that there is in God. And I, I just sense from the, you know, this scripture that God is not insensitive to our trials and our difficulties and our dark times. You know, he, know, he made us. He knows, he knows how we are. But, but in Christ, he also knows that we're conquerors. Yeah? We're conquerors. In fact, it says we're more than conquerors. Just re-emphasizing overemphasizing that we are conquerors. There's always hope because he restores our souls. There's always hope, always hope. <clears throat> There's a, uh, a song uh, I've heard recently by, it's a fantastic name, Rend Collective Experiment. Some of you will have heard of them and heard their music. There's a song called Second... Well, this isn't the whole title. It's called Second Chance. 
And uh, it just, just in terms of when I was preparing, it just spoke to me that God is the God of the second chance. He's actually also the God of the third and the fourth and the fifth chance. <laughs> because we can mess things up, we can blow things, we can fail, we can do all these things. You know, we don't t- intend to. But God is the God of the second, second, the third, the fourth, the fifth chance. God truly is an excellent restorer of broken, smashed, and dysfunctional lives, relationships, families. He's a master craftsman at, at molding beautiful, healed people in their places. <laughs> He's a fantastic restorer. You know, it takes courage to square up to the challenge of being transformed. Because it's very easy to say, well, I'm just always going to be like this. I'm always going to be hurt and disappointed and broken. It's very easy to do that. Because the status quo is always the easiest. If you're paddling upstream, you're having to apply water, uh, power to the water. And if it's a really big current, you may feel you're getting nowhere. <laughs> but you will. That's status quo. Status quo is let's go with the flow. So it takes courage and it takes some guts. And it, you know, I encourage you, if there are those who can, who can get alongside you, or you can just say, look, please stand with me. Please pray with me because I need some help and I need some courage. The great thing about the word encourage means it provides courage. That's why we need to be encouragers. We give courage to people when we, give, when we encourage It's a duty on us all, if you like, to encourage. uh, We caught a bit of um, Joel Osteen at the Hillsong Conference yesterday. Not literally, I mean on the TV. (laughs) Didn't fly back from Sydney overnight. Um, And he, he had a great phrase that was this, There are eventualities in your destiny. There are eventualities in your destiny. Well, he said it in a Texan accent, which I can't do, but there are eventualities in your destiny. Make pleasing and honoring God your highest priority. This is like a magnet to God, and he comes with his favor. This was what Joel Osteen said. I love that. Somebody's not very happy, are they? One of the amazing... uh, I'm sort of going to finish shortly with this, but one of the amazing scriptures that I've looked at time and again with Isaiah 61. Isaiah chapter 61. and Many of us will know it. And we often stop reading at the bit about Jesus and what, you know, the anointing that's upon him. And failed to read the next bit. I'm just going to read it all to you. If you want to follow me to Isaiah 61, if, you, if you've got a Bible or a Bible on an electronic device, or whatever. I think this is the NIV, New International Version. It says this. 
The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because Jesus used this for himself. He quoted this himself. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach, proclaim good news to the poor. Yep, fine. Good, got that. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Restoration. To proclaim freedom to the captives. And the release from darkness for the prisoners. Which is all about restoration. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which is what Joel Osteen said, and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And we normally stop there. See, that, those last couple of verses are all about hope. They're all about what God is going to do. About giving those who are grieving joy. Um, you know, those who, who, who just feel, frankly, let's use this word, maybe those of you feel dirty, like, you know, you're covered in ashes. I'll give you a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And then he says this, Verse 4, they, now who are they? (laughs) This just follows on. They are the people who have been healed, restored, um, who've had the gospel preached to them and who have responded to the good news of Jesus. They will be called, sorry, they will build the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Then it sort of of goes back to the current generation. It says this, And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of the nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance, and you will receive... And inherit a double portion in your land. An everlasting joy will be yours. Wow. Let me put it, let me summarize. We are a people who have been and are being restored by the grace of God. We are a people who are, and part of what I'm saying to you this morning is, who need to understand God's hope and, and that there is always hope. And as we are being restored, we become, as it were, once, you know, this, think of the sunflower again. Think of an acorn that matures into this, it talks about the oaks, oaks of the Lord in some versions, that produces this wonderful tree that provides shade. And under that shade, people can be restored. People who we would say are not yet believers in Jesus. It's a tremendous privilege and a, and a great word of, from God that, that these generations will be restored and with us will rebuild the ancient ruins. And let's be honest about this. How many of you and me would say that they have not been in some way restored in their lives by God? So even we are those who have been restored and are rebuilding the ancient ruins. I'm using sort of the Bible language here, but I think you'll know, you know, 
the towns and the cities, the workplaces, the schools and the colleges that we're all involved in, that, that God wants to rebuild. And the communities and the, the political, you know, the, the seven mountains, we often talk about this. Let's just say the seven mountains of influence. <laughs> they, could, they will be restored because we're restored. And we will be restorers in those places. The church that Jesus is going to build is going to be much more glorious than the church in the New Testament. The church in the New Testament was brilliant, fantastic. And we have yet to, to reach a lot. It's like Marcus said with Peter. We've yet to reach a lot of that. But our hope is actually on what God will do, which is to provide a wonderful, glorious church that he will come back and take to himself. We're going to be restored to God's original and the best. You know, it's great to see um, works of art and, and, and things like that. They're restored to their original. It takes years. Sometimes it takes two or three years to restore a damaged painting. And, you know, it may take years with us, but that's okay. That's where perseverance comes in. The church of Jesus Christ is being restored to the community of the king. That will ultimately, when Jesus returns for us, become his bride. Perfect in every way. <laughs> we can be perfect together. We, let's just press on together. Let's not lose heart. Let's encourage one another on the journey. Use the gifts that Jesus has given to us individually and together as a church to achieve his purpose because we're shaping the future with God. That's what Isaiah 61 says. We're shaping the future. So I've got two challenges this morning. One is this. In my experience, and the experience of millions of others, there are um, the, the main and the only person that can restore is Jesus Christ. Because he made us in the first place. The blueprint was his. And if I'm going to be restored to my original, he's going to have to use his blueprint on me. I just want to say this. If you're in a place today where you are not sure that you know Jesus, or maybe you do, but you really don't feel at all restored, then I'd love you to... to there'll be a ministry team here. There'll be people, a trained team here who will just help you. Just come out when the meeting finishes. Come out and see them because they will help you and they'll bless you. And if, if there's too many, that's fine. We'll send some more. <laughs> We've got plenty of people who can help you. Jesus says this in John, Gospel of John. I've come that you may have life and have life super abundantly. 
Now that sounds like a good deal to me. The catch is you have to die to yourself. You have to be prepared to lay down your agenda and let God's dreams become part of your dreams. But that's a good, good, great exchange. The second is this. If you're in a deep trough and you want to ask God to restore your soul, may, I just invite you to come to this team as well because they just, they're just great to, to pray with. They'll pray for you. If I can just, I know we don't normally do this, but if I can just encourage the ministry team, particularly for this second category, could I encourage you to pray for grace, God's grace to restore souls and to speak blessing over the people that come? It's quite interesting because we recently had that, that, that teaching, didn't we? But to speak blessing, because when we speak blessing, we are speaking God's future over them. We're seeing what God sees and is yet to come. That's the prophetic people. <laughs> well, thank you, Jesus. Okay. You stuck with me. Thank you. Father, you are good. In fact, you're extraordinary. <laughs> you're amazing that you demonstrated your love in Jesus to such, such a level that the, created, the Creator should die in our place so that we could have hope, have a future, and have life. Jesus, we, we're, we honor you and we worship you. Holy Spirit, will you come and do a restoring work in our lives that the kingdom may come to us so that the kingdom may come to others who don't yet know you. In Jesus' name, amen.